Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. What can healing aptogens teach us about the definitive guide to using super herbs and mushrooms for your body's restoration, defense, and performance? My guest today is my brother from another mother. His name is Taro Iskalpilia. Now, I definitely got that last name wrong, so I apologize in advance. It is a hard name to actually pronounce, but Taro is the founder and CEO of Four Sigmatic, If you've heard of that before, you know what it is, but it's a functional foods company that wants to make the world's most studied and nutrient-dense foods more delicious and easier to consume to bring healthy upgrades into America's daily routine. Tero's roots uh, are in Finland, where he grew up growing and foraging natural foods on on his 13th generation family's farm. He later earned a degree in chemistry, business, and a certificate in plant-based nutrition at Cornell University. In 2012, Taro founded Four Sigmatic with the dream of bringing a little everyday magic to the lives of all. He's an expert in all things related to nutrition, health, and wellness. Taro is the author of two previous best-selling books, Healing Mushrooms, an educational cookbook from Avery Publishing, and Santa Sold Shrooms, a children's book for adults about the magical origins of Santa Claus and his brand new book is called Healing Aptogens. It's actually launching the same day as my book, uh, September 27th, just a fun fact for you guys. But this book, Healing Aptogens, really talks about uh, the definitive guide to using super herbs and mushrooms for our body's restoration, defense, and performance, and how we can get the most out of life as well. we we cover a lot of topics in this. Uh, one in particular I think you might think is pretty cool about how Taro actually sleeps on a nail bed uh, with, during the day. He naps, which I think was 
pretty interesting. So I wanted to dive into that. And then we get into what a healing aptogen actually is, what does it consist of, and all the good things. So I know you guys are really going to enjoy this one and hopefully you guys get a lot out of it. Nonetheless, um, I, I really, really enjoyed speaking to Taro. Like I said, he's a brother from another mother. So many things that we connected on, uh, I can relate to and just, it was just an all round fun conversation. So I hope that you guys can get a copy of Taro's book. Link will be in the show notes below. It's called Healing Aptogens. And I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order still. Uh, comes out very, very soon, September 27th, which is when Tarot's book launches as well. So if you haven't got a copy yet, I hope that you guys do get a copy. Uh, links will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, that's enough from me, but you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories from none other than, bear with me, Taro Iso Capilia. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Like I said before we started listening to your episodes, and you do such a fantastic job, so congrats on all the success. No, thank you, man. I'm honored to actually have you here and have a conversation with you because like I mentioned actually in the intro, uh, I heard all about Four Sigmatic. I was quite interested about Four Sigmatic from a bunch of podcast sponsorships. Like it, it, you got yourself out there fairly quickly, I believe, uh, back, in, back in the day. Uh, and I don't know, because some of the podcasts I was listening to, they might have changed the, the sponsorships and, and all that sort of stuff. That's totally fine because um, I don't hear it too many and I listen to quite a bunch of podcasts, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you my, my very first question for you, which is what does success look like for you? Yeah, that's such a great question. And it's kind of like diet or nutrition is that it evolves and some things hopefully stay stable, such as values and your North Star and mission, but then success changes. And I feel like there's actually a huge issue if you think it is stagnant because we have these archetypes and phases in life and saying yes is also saying no. And if you're not, if you're afraid to say no, then you're not going to say the yes. And if you try to be this balanced life every year of your life, it's not, you got to have themes and it's like a hero's journey in a way. So what I've tried since I was um, about 17 years old is I write annual goals and I also write my perfect day. And I write like an extensive from every minute of the day, like what does perfect day look like? And, and I can tell you, I'm, I'm a new parent. So my life perfect day today is very different than when I didn't have kids. And I was like a single guy, gallywenting around the world, living in all these places. Uh, it's very different life. And so it's evolving. So for me, success is, if I would have to define it, it's mostly through my values and my mission. Um, I want to see the truth and accept it. Um, that's something. Um, I want to respond to things with positivity and not putting in solutions. Not always easy. Um, and yeah, I want to live my life in my way, not someone else's life in my way or my life in someone else's way. So those are things that I keep telling myself and some of the more tactical things change with different phases of of my life so far. What are 
some of your values now? How have they changed over time? And how has bringing those values into your life helped create a perfect day for you? And what does the perfect day look like for you? I know a couple of questions in there for you. Yeah, I'm same five values I've always had as a core value. So at the very, very core, my value is time. So every other value ties into time. And then I have four other values like freedom, wisdom. Um, but within there's like sub values within like what does freedom mean to me? And that has changed. So for example, having a child, um, I didn't think of freedom. I was I grew up in Finland. I've lived in 10 countries. I was very like flexible, but when you have a child, you have to think about certain things for the kid. Like we did home birth and you can kind of do home birth everywhere, honestly, but it is a lot harder in certain places. We used to live in California and you would think California is really easy to do a home birth, but it is and it isn't. And now we live in Austin, Texas, and there's a long history of midwifery. And that is one form of freedom that I didn't consider at all <laughs> when I was a single guy. But the freedom has stayed stable. So freedom, so time, freedom, wisdom are things that are relevant all the time. But then underneath them, things change. How do you find that sort of freedom when you're running a major company? Well, actually, you could say that I run a company to uh <laughs> to have freedom um and that's a whole other story but like sovereignty might be another word there's like freedom of speech but then there's also sovereignty underneath and unfortunately how the world is structured you have to own something to have freedom and that could mean own land own water we have a farm so we have spring water own food um, you could own intellectual property now these days you can own an nft or a bitcoin but you own something and you got to build something to have financial freedom through that sovereignty for your family so it matters and then in a way like i always wanted to nap like my big thing is napping i nap every day and that was part of my freedom and when you're working nine to five i couldn't nap so i had to uh, build a lifestyle for me which allows me to nap every day like i did today <laughs> what time do you nap and it's it's changed with the kid a little bit. Whenever you get it, you get it. But uh, normally for me, the sweet spot is super early, around 11. I like to wake up early, nap early. I nap on a nail bed and I nap about 15 to 20 minutes. So it's not a long nap, but it's just my moment. And that way I get two mornings. I'm most productive in the morning. So if I nap, I get a morning and a second morning. So I love that. Did you say nail bed? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've been uh, not quite 20 years, but for a long time, I've been napping on this like, it's like a cover on top of a, a nail bed cover that you goes on a normal bed. And it has like, I think 3000 actual nails. There's ones with plastic, but I'm not using those. These were like actual like kind of metal nails. What was the decision behind getting a, a bed of nails? <laughs> I'm just curious, uh, man. Um, I've always been to like optimal human performance and trying new stuff. And frankly, like what now is known as biohacking and frankly, like 80% of that probably doesn't work. Um, so originally I started with an open mind. I found it through some Eastern European, there was an Estonian healer who had a connection in 
I think Bulgaria and it's very like Soviet way of healing. Um, but then it worked really well and it makes me, my nervous system relax really well and my muscles relax really well, especially sitting on a computer, you know, your shoulders and back are tight. So it really helps. And then later, obviously I've learned a lot about like acupressure that has existed with pretty much every society in the world have had some sort of, you know, from massage to acupuncture to whatever, where like the trigger point therapy, where pressing really hard somewhere actually releases energy in it. And, and there's like a muscle technical answer and then there's the energy answer. But like the same concept is by squeezing hard, you actually release energy, which is a good symbol for also life is that sometimes you got to squeeze hard and press and it actually creates more freedom when you do that. So can you actually do different like sleeping positions on this better nails that it feels relatively comfortable like can you actually move around or you just not not really you wake up if you move around so the idea is actually like there's the nails are really there's a lot of them and they're close to each other so every nail only carries x amount of weight and therefore it doesn't penetrate your skin but it goes really deep into your muscles but if you go on it unevenly then like suddenly the weight per nail like doubles or triples for example and then you hurt but if you're really even, so if there's like India used to have these um, mystics and fakirs that would like lay on it, but you have to go eat really even and it doesn't hurt in really healing. But if, 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 if you put a lot of pressure on a small area, then it hurts a lot. But if you are more even and more still, which is like another way is like it helps me be really still in my nap slash meditation. Cause I start meditating and then I fall asleep basically. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's my weird routine, but to the values and success, I think definition of success should be flexible. I think you shouldn't be fixated on it. You can be fixated on values. You can be fixated on how you feel at the end, which is another thing. Sometimes we say, oh, I want to be a millionaire. It's like, I would recommend you explore how you feel yeah. when you have financial success versus the number. Cause it might be that you get the number, but you don't get the feeling that you were pursuing or the lifestyle that you were pursuing. So it's, it's not weird to me, man. I think I've got, I think that some of my routines that help bring me that stability, that freedom and that sense of, I guess, feeling like I am successful in that way, I would class them as weird too. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think it's weird at all for you to to say that because it, it does bring it. Like you you need it in order for you to feel like you're at your optimal self. And if I didn't do what I did, even though some may see that as weird and I kind of class it as weird too, then, <laughs> uh, then I wouldn't be able to achieve the things that I want to achieve in any given day. So I think it's, it's powerful and yeah. So that's what's your, top three, what's your top three, what other people would consider weird things that are part of your like routine or habit right now. Well, I get up at 4am every single morning mm -hmm. without fail. So a lot of people would pretty much sleep in. I don't think many people in the population actually get up at that time of the day, the butt crack of dawn. 
Uh, and I, I spend at least 20 to sub 20, 25 minutes in prayer and meditation as well. Mm -hmm. And that helps me, uh, get my mind focused. And then I spend the good two hours, uh, out in nature exercising. And I'm very, very structured with that. Like I, I don't like, uh, not doing it. Let's just say that. So I, I try mm -hmm. and protect it as much as I can. And then when I get home, uh, some of my, my other routines, uh, like some of the things that I eat and what I do, like I go to bed super early as well. Um, because I, I just, my, the way my brain works, it, it needs that. It just shuts itself down at like five o'clock <laughs> at mm -hmm. night. So I need that unwinding in that shut off period. Um, and, and another thing that I do is I usually, read quite a lot <laughs> so not i know not a lot of people actually do that as part of their routine but i read like it's going out of fashion um and then i'm very i'm just very particular with how i spend my time like am i on social media a lot am i speaking to people a lot or am i working so if i've got a goal that i want to achieve on any given week or any given day then i will work and pretty much my priority will be towards that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that you would consider those weird at all from your perspective, but I do because it's like completely out of the norm <laughs> for a lot of people. Yeah, and it's funny. It's because of internet and the world we live in. It's easier now find your tribe and your like people. So I bet now in your social circle meditating and waking up early and prayer and you know these things are not that weird but you know without that connection and tribe if you would just grow up anywhere you know probably even in a big city like sydney you might feel like not a lot of people wake up before or start meditating at all but um so it's funny when you spend a lot of time in online communities, you start to feel that they become the norm. And then when you only hang out with people that are like-minded, then you start to think like everybody meditates, right? Yeah. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. They try. <laughs> some try, yeah. some give up pretty quickly. And I think these days it's becoming more in, I guess, style and fashion, so to speak, because there's been more and more people talking about it there's different forms of meditation, right? I, I've noticed mm -hmm. like whatever that looks like for you and uh, that helps your mindset wherever you at with that. I mean, fair enough. I mean, if you don't meditate, fair enough too. It just, it works for me. And I know that it, do you, you meditate too, right? Yeah. And I've, uh, I've gone through a whole series of things uh, trying out different mantra page meditations, mindfulness, uh, stillness. Uh, and then maybe this is the Nordic in me, but, and I know that's also right now super in vogue, but uh, I mean, for me, something like nature, ice, frozen lake. I mean, I know meditation people hate when you say stuff like that is like, that's not meditation, but for me, like we were just in Finland and you go to like, if you go to cold water and Wim Hof has made it very popular now, but um, growing up in Finland, sauna, ice water, nature, those things 
it's just you're with your breath and that mindfulness is really beautiful for me. And then after that, you can move into journaling or, you know, setting intentions or whatever. But I, I definitely have the typical entrepreneurial monkey mind that I need like a workout or like a shock to it to like, like level set. Yeah. Break, Very break much. the pattern, break the pattern first or somehow like, stop me before I like move forward. So I need that pause and that pause is a thing like a nail bed or ice plunge are really powerful, <laughs> really powerful pauses. Yeah. I, I need to, doesn't matter like if it's freezing cold, like, cause I grew up in Sydney and Sydney's not mm-hmm. that cold, but if it would be freezing cold in the morning, let's just say it's two, two or three degrees, which for a lot of Sydney siders, that would be considered cold. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would be wearing shorts, a t-shirt and like a, a jumper and I'd be out in the freezing cold. I loved it. It was that moment of no one else was around, hardly anyone else was up, a moment of stillness, just me pounding the pavement, alone with my thoughts, let's go. And that was like my jolt to the system because I'm doing something physically exertive as well as I'm kind of in a in a in this state of bliss at the same time while I am allowing my brain to just get ready for the day ahead. And there's just something about that, man. It's just like a beautiful transition period. <laughs> like if you, if you don't do it, you feel like something is definitely missing. And I've I've noticed that if I don't do it, I've had worse days as a result of not doing it. So I completely understand with you. But I, I'm interested in, did you grow up with saunas in your house? Yeah, for sure. Um, sauna is the only Finnish word in the English language. And I'm, so I'm from Finland. So we have like, we have right now six saunas for four people just to give you an idea. So they're pretty big deal. And I, I, we've always had a sauna. So it's since I was birth, I wasn't born in a sauna, but it's also very common. It used to be that people, kids were born in a sauna because it was the cleanest place on a farm because it would kill all the bacteria and then it would be safest to do birth. Yeah. So what was it like for you growing up in Finland? Did you ever think that you would run your own company one day? Well, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yes and no. I feel like it was pretty obvious for me early on that I'm either unhirable or I just uh, need to do a thing, but no, I'm what has transpired now. If I go back, I would have no clue. So, you know, it's like, the saying where we often overestimate what we can achieve in 12 months, but we underestimate what we can do in five years. So now I'm like, you know, call it 20 years into intense, like cold setting. So like, if you go back to the beginning, what I thought was possible is uh, limited views on, on the world. And, and the other part I didn't really know is a lot of things in health and wellness that, you know, I'm known for, I also thought were pretty normal, like a sauna and cold plunge and mushrooms and adaptogens. But these things I thought were like, not table stakes, but like pretty like known. And, you know, 20 years later, they're still not known. They're obviously way more popular than they were 20 years ago. But 
um, that was my bubble is the Nordic wellness bubble a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, there were some themes like I really wanted to travel, see the world. I felt like I wanted to build something of my own. Those felt, and like health and wellness have been like a lifelong journey. So those I would guess, but just on a smaller scale and different front, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see when you consistently work on yourself Mm -hmm. and also the world has changed a lot. So what is possible? And, and it's usually a lot more than what you can even imagine in your wildest dreams. So growing up, you basically learned all about healing aptogens from your native country of Finland. Yeah, and um, from my family, so I'm a 13th generation family farmer. So me and my brother, as I manage the farm, and then hopefully our kids, um, our boys will then take over to be the 14th. And my mom taught physiology and anatomy. My dad was an agronomist. So I learned the ways of like farming and nature from my dad and then the human body from my mom. And then I studied nutrition and chemistry first. My first degree was in chemistry and nutrition. So um, the culture definitely helped in many ways, but then on top of that, through my family lineage and then studying, learn more. Uh, and that's how I ended up learning about adaptogens and mushrooms and health and wellness and whatnot. Is that why you wanted to write your new book to bring all this foundational wisdom to pretty much the world so they can know about it too? Yeah, um, for sure. Like very, very short answer is I wanted to write a book that existed when I started. Um, So that was a big journey. Um, I didn't write this book because like, oh, it's going to be like this head book for three months. Like I truly think this book is like a seminal book on adaptogens and will be relevant for 20 or 30 years, if not more um, with maybe some updated prints on, on latest studies at it. But yeah, I think I wanted to write a book. Um, secondly, I think what I observed both in my life and people around me over the, particularly the last two, three years when I've been working on this book is mental wellness. Um, so when I started for Sigmatic 10 years ago or came to the US soon after that, like things like brain power were not a thing. And, and we've since with products that are often labeled as nootropics, but the products that help with cognitive function um, have really exploded. But what I've also noticed, particularly in the last few years, is the ability to modulate, um, not just like stimulate, but adapt your body to stressors and i think covid probably made a number on a lot of people um but also like unhealthy coping mechanisms that have existed for a long time anywhere from adderall different kinds of stimulants and sedatives and and also probably lack of connection with something bigger than yourself um you know it's a generational thing but i see a lot of people struggling with stress sleep and mental wellness and and a lot of people are not going to bed at eight or nine or or this is generally struggling with sleep and stress and anxiety and things like that and these adaptogens have been used for thousands of years for a lot of things but mainly to restore balance in body particularly when it comes to stress hormonal response 
uh, nervous system. So they're just very relevant for today as well. But I wrote a book I wanted to have existed when I started, and I hope it will be a relevant book for a lot of people interested in health and wellness for the next few decades. I'm very interested in health and wellness. Now, one thing that you do talk about quite a bit is the good old mushy or mushrooms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am, I, man, I apologize. I'm not a fan of mushrooms. I have like this Mm -hmm. gag reflex when it comes to them. (laughs) Uh, But how powerful, uh, let me ask you this question first, then we'll get into that one. But what is an aptogen, for example? Mm -hmm. What class is something as being an aptogen? And then secondly, why are mushrooms so powerful? Yeah, I regret asking Adapt- that question. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> adaptogens are natural substances that help your body to adapt to stressors. Um, the, they've existed for thousands of years, but the term was coined in USSR, so current day Russia, in their military. There was a doctor, Dr. Lazarov. He was commissioned um, to find things that would help soldiers perform better without addictive properties and let down the next day. And we, uh, I went to the Finnish Air Force as well. And I was the, it's very common with militaries and, and armed forces around the world to receive drugs. And there's a lot of proof of that around the world, a lot of addiction. Um, I used to live in LA. There's a whole area called Skid Row that is kind of famous. A lot of those are Vietnam vets addicted to things. Um, on a smaller version, caffeine or coffee could even act like that where you get short-term performance, but there's a long-term letdown if you take too much of it. So you could abuse substances. There's many other examples of similar to that. Um, so Dr. Lazarus was asked like, Hey, can you figure out something that our soldiers can take that will make them smarter, faster, stronger, but it will not have negatives later. And they went on this long research with his team, with top doctors and came up with the first adaptogens. Since then, over the last 70 years, there's been a massive pool of research. And what are the requirements of an adaptogen? They're actually quite simple, but they're really strict. So it ends up being that there's only like a couple dozen substances that qualify as an adaptogen today, but the rules are really simple. One is that it cannot be uh, toxic or addictive. So it needs to be safe for habitual use. That already takes a lot of really beautiful herbs away. So there's a lot of great natural substances that are actually not safe on an ongoing basis. They're supposed to be cycled in and out. Secondly, they restore balance. um, And and that's usually they work through the systems. The body has multiple systems. and like a hormonal system. So working through balancing the hormonal system, they impact balance. And then third, which is the hardest for most of us Westerners to understand, they're non-specific. So for example, by increasing blood circulation, like there's a adaptogen called cordyceps, which increases ATP production, which is cellular energy and increases oxygen intake. So that it just basically means you can your maximum oxygen intake improves. So that means a lot of things in the body happen. Your sports performance improves, yes, but your libido increases. Um, 
And so these adaptogens are non-specific, and that's really difficult for some people to wrap their head around. If usually, like the drop model says, you have this, you take that, and those those are like sniper rifle versus adaptogens are more generalist. And some of them are mushrooms, some of them are plants. Mushrooms are a very big kingdom, or fungi is a big kingdom. I bet you have them every day. You just don't know. They're in the air. And they're required for wine, beer, cheese, bread, um, but also pretty much every fermented food. So if you have kombucha, sauerkraut, miso, they're on your skin. You probably have more fungi in your skin and your gut than you have cells in your body. You have besides microbiome in your gut, you have mycobiome. So fungi are part of our life, you want it or not. And some of these top adaptogens are the good fungi, but there's also a reason why particularly Anglo-Saxon cultures have feared mushrooms because there's bad mushrooms and molds. And there's also a lot of the mushrooms you find in a grocery store are not that healthy for you or delicious. So I totally understand everybody who has a fear or a disgust for them, especially if you have some of a British heritage, like, you know, Australia also has. So, no, I guess you could say if we are talking about mushrooms, which are, like you said, a fungi, magic mushrooms would be classed as a, a bad one, right? Yeah. Uh, I try to you know, avoid for your that. Health. that. Yeah. I, I try to avoid that narrative, good or bad, uh, because nature doesn't like work quite like that. But generally there is culinary mushrooms. That's your portobello butter mushroom. Then there's functional mushrooms that offer functional health benefits, such as alliance made things that for sigmatic is specialized in. And there's psychedelic mushrooms, very small group of things that, for example, improve, like give you a psychedelic effect. Those are illegal in most countries, although the modern research is validating them, their benefits for certain people in certain environments. A lot of top universities are studying them. And then there's a whole suite of other kinds of fungi that you don't even know existed. Um, but for mostly, it's important to know that the culinary mushrooms are very different from the psychedelic. And the functional is somewhere in between. You're not going to have, they're legal, but you're not going to have as big of an impact as a psychedelic, but it's more than a portobello. So it's like, <laughs> it's in between the portobello and the, the psilocybin, which is the most common psychedelic mushroom. I was just curious, honestly. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I wanted to sort of ask you about these other healing aptogens as you describe what they what they are, what they have to be classified as. So if we were to say, okay, what are some of those healing aptogens and can we get them today with our regular diets, like that sort of thing, like does country also matter? They're pretty available now, but pretty much if you would map out the whole world, you can find like one adaptogen pretty much in every corner of the world. So every society has had their like most nutrient dense, dense, sacred plants or mushrooms for each area. Um, and, and they have, are in this elevated status. Some of them are really well known today uh, to name a few like a turmeric. Um, raw cacao in its unheated form. Uh, ginseng would be like 
three examples of very household names that people, and obviously there's concerns about how you source them and how you take them, but generally those would be three very well known. Then there's more commonly available now substances that used to be more exotic, like a lion's mane mushroom, like an ashwagandha, like ashwagandha over the last few years, it's a sacred Indian herb, it's a root, and it's now available pretty much everywhere in the world. And then there's some that are really, you know, less known, like an astragalus or schisandra or, you know, things that people might have not known yet, but they're on the top, top, top echelon of, of natural substances. And that's what I try in this book. I kind of covered the top 21. Um, but yeah, some of them are very available. And I, I don't think, um, I don't think anybody will struggle procuring at least half of these top 21 at any moment. And because of internet, I feel like every one of them is available today. And when we're talking about each aptogen, they've all got a specific benefit to your health, mm -hmm. right? So if we were to talk about our gut microbiome, which is incredibly important, and I'm a big advocate on it because of my audience probably knows of my journey with my gut health. It's mm -hmm. wild and outrageous, my friend, and I won't share it with you today for the sake of yeah. time. But if we were to talk about some healing aptogens for our gut microbiome, would we include mushrooms in that space? What other uh, healing aptogens can we include there? So, yeah. So the cliff notes, which is an American saying, but the, the spark notes is, uh, is that wherever you pretty much find bacteria in the world, including our gut, you will find fungi. Fungi and bacteria are some of the most overlooked kingdoms in biology. We mostly focus, especially nutrition, you focus on plants and animals, and you love to debate how much plants should you eat, how much animals should you eat. But when you ignore these two almost invisible or pretty much invisible kingdoms of bacteria and fungi. And they impact particularly our gut and our skin, which are also, by the way, connected. And if you want it or not, there is going to be fungi in your gut. And some of those are bad hombres that do really bad things. Candida is like a thing. And consuming butter mushrooms or portobello mushrooms, which are the same thing, and your regular culinary mushroom can actually make it worse. So there's a lot of people who have serious gut issues who should not consume like a normal culinary mushroom. That being said, some of these mushrooms are actually antifungal, which is a cosmic pickle, is the nature fights nature. Because in nature, these fungi have to battle with each other. So there are some mushrooms that actually kill the bad mushrooms. And what you can do is today in this beautiful world, and there's companies specialized in it, for Sigmatic not, but like other companies, where you can take a gut sample and look at what kind of fungi you have there. And there is literally thousands of research papers on this and it's it's getting very very solid of understanding what should be the ratios because it's not only the matter of like this is good this is bad but at what ratio it's healthy to have yeah. and but to answer your question maybe the best fungi in general for gut is called chaga c-h-a-g-a it grows in a birch tree in the world's largest forest, taiga, which is a forest size of all of the United States, spans from 
my native area in the Nordics from like Norway, Sweden, Finland to all the way to Alaska. You can find it in Northern United States as well. Um, it is a mushroom that grows 20, 10 to 25 years in the harshest climates you can imagine. And you brew a coffee-like beverage from it, which is caffeine-free, kind of very, very black. It's the number one source of melanin in nature, which is a powerful antioxidant. Also, people often know it from the skin. Um, SOD, which is uh, one of the best antioxidants, super oxyacetismatase. Um, has tons of minerals, but particularly awesome for the gut. And it's been used for a long time in Siberian, also Finnish um, medicine for healing the gut. And it's quite powerful for that. So that would be one. Others to name on the fungi side is probably reishi mushroom for gut health. There's studies on rodent studies, granted, but um, like people on exact same high carb, uh, sorry, a low carb, high fat, high protein diet, and the rats change nothing in behavior or diet except they added reishi mushrooms. And the, the rodents' digestion improved so much that they lost weight and became more physically powerful by adding just like reishi mushrooms. Turkey tail is another one, but there's also herbs that are really good for the gut. Um, and it depends also if you're more like if you have those fungal issues or are you more trying to maintain healthy digestion. So turkey yeah, tail. That, that's not an actual turkey's tail. No, and lion's mane is not the actual mane of a lion. They're common names for a mushroom. Uh, it looks like a tail of a turkey, but no, no animals were harmed or no no lions were attacked. Uh, it's some of these. Um, substances have a lot of common nicknames. Um, so there's a, if I say Tremersis versicolor, it's a, it's a lot harder to grasp than turkey tail because it kind of looks like a turkey tail. When I first heard of uh, lion's mane, I'm like, this is a cool name. I got to admit <laughs> it's an epic name for a mushroom. And I'm like, Hey, I might, I might have to give this a go. But I was a bit skeptical because of the fact that it's a mushroom and I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I've got yeah. to get, get past my, my, uh, my gag reflex on that front, my friend. <laughs> yeah, these ones are more, tend to be very bitter. So they taste like drinking a black tea or something like that. They, there are powerful, healthy mushrooms like shiitake that taste like a, what you would imagine mushroom, but the chagas and the rishis for what most people imagine a mushroom tastes like is nothing like it. It's rishis very bitter herbally, like getting a, like a cup of hippie tea. Uh, and then chaga is closer to like smooth vanilla coffee that is really brewed, really light. So like uh, from a flavor point of view, a lot of people who cannot consume fungi can consume things like chocolate. This is all very interesting stuff, man, but I, I've got to be respectful of your time. I want to ask you a couple more questions if that's all right with you, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. What was the hardest part about you actually putting together this book in the first place and, and actually writing the book? Yeah. Um, this is my third published book in the US. And every time it's been more or less similar 
in the way that I've written about things that are near and dear to my heart and I'm familiar with. Um, me and my co-author, who's a registered herbalist, Danielle, went through over a thousand research papers for this book. But it, it's a, it's, it is still like a thing that we knew a lot. So I would say if you write about a topic that is near and dear to your heart, it is the book, you actually start writing the book like five, 10 years before you know you're writing the book because you're researching well ahead. There are people who, like a Michael Pollan, who doesn't know about a topic at all and goes on this two-year journalistic quest. And that's a different type of book. I've never written a book like that. I've always written about stuff that I know about and then I just kind of go on it. Um, so for me, the writing itself is fairly quick and the hardest part is usually like coming up with the structure, like, like the table of contents and that is like that. And then for me, cause I'm, I'm totally English is my like third or fourth language. It, for me, the polishing is just poison because I, it's just like grammar is not my thing. And luckily, I have a great publisher who does amazing things and they help out. But polishing the book and making it easy to read is really difficult for me personally. But, but from a creative process, getting the right structure in place is like takes a while. And it's, it's kind of daunting at first because you've not written like one word and you're still like stuck. But when you have that structure in place and maybe a sample chapter, like when you've written the first chapter and then like, okay, now I have this like decades of knowledge in my head. Now I'm just going to deploy it with this chapter model. It's a lot easier Then it's just work. Yeah. Um, so that was for me. What, it, what, what was it for you? Obviously you deep, near and dear to your heart, the story as well. So, and the topic, but was it was it similar to you or different on 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 writing the book? It was similar, and funny enough, English is my first language, and I struggle incredibly hard with grammar. I, I say in the book, actually, I, I make the the analogy of imagine I'm Batman and grammar is a Joker. I wouldn't be Batman without the Joker, and and but yet we we sort of like we, we fight all the time. <laughs> so I'm trying yeah. to, we, we just need each other. But the funny, funniest thing is I think, yeah, finding the story of what it's actually going to be, that structure element was really, really hard. And to be honest with you, man, I gave up on my first draft because I'm like, what in the world is this? I have no idea what it is. And uh, so I shelved mine uh, and then eventually came back to it and it became the book that it is. But then even the drafts after that, I was constantly changing stuff. And I think it just annoyed the living daylights out of people because there's just like things I was changing all the time. And um, so I completely understand when it comes down to structure, but I mean, well done for you because English is in your first language and here English is my first language and I still struggle enormously with it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But I wouldn't, if you... If you're listening and you're like, hey, I want to write a book, um, maybe my two advices, one is don't be afraid of the editorial structural process. There is like all these platforms and service providers online. There are people who love doing that. 
So if there's like, hey, I need somebody to proofread my book, there's a plenty of people who are really good at that. And that shouldn't stop you from sharing what's in in your heart and like with the world. And the other thing is, it's really like, you know, like doing the research and that could mean just writing about something that you love and it's been part of your life extensively. So I think the writing is then a lot easier when you know, and you've like committed yourself to the process and having a podcast is also a great way because you can explore some of the topics in the book with awesome people over many, many episodes. Right. Yeah. That's what I did. And then my, my next book is actually, I'm more excited about it because like you mentioned the podcast stuff, I think it's, it ties into that other people's stories and being able to, form something really really special i'm i'm super excited about that book but anyway i won't get into it i digress (laughs) Um, yeah two quick final questions for you my friend what do you love the most about yourself and your story i as probably many others um it fluctuate on how much i love myself and it shouldn't because you should pretty consistently love yourself um I'll tell a very quick, funny side story. As a kid, I read a study, because um, my mom was in physiology and anatomy. And so I, I saw all these studies as a kid. One of the studies was that the number one body part that people hate is their nose. And I was very surprised, because I was like, not muscles, not this and that. And like, and the study explored it and said, it's like, you can hide your eyes, you can wear contact lenses, sunglasses, you can change the color of your hair, you can go on a gym. Like nose is very difficult and it's at the center of your face. And I was probably 12 or 13 years old and I went to the bathroom and I remember, and I'm like teenage, pre-teenage kind of boy. And I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I like my nose. I love my nose. And I remember like, that is like one of the first self-love moments as I remember as a kid, it's like, it's okay to love something about yourself. Um, I'd say a very specific thing that I love is curiosity um, and like passion and curiosity. I have a shadow, a part of me that I don't, that is part of me that I don't want. And it's, there is a movie character animation children's movie that has that shadow actually that for me and that character is very like annoyingly curious and passionate and I love that part about me but it's also my shadow so it's also like the part that I sometimes hate about myself yeah so. being overly overly curious you think yeah yeah pretty much and like annoying people with it as well yep. on the process completely understand (laughs) so yeah i got you there man (laughs) yeah Uh, where can people find you man and connect with you get the copy of your book before i ask you the final question sure um pretty easy type tarot and my difficult last name that you can find in the show notes uh i'm on instagram and uh, the book is kind of where books are sold um bookstores and I guess Amazon is the thing now online, but there's other places as well. So it's fairly easy to find me and the book. And um, also, you know, be it a beat podcast or YouTube or writing, I try to write actively as well outside of. So just, I think through Google, you can find me and my work pretty easily. 
Well, I'll make it easier for people to find <laughs> yes. you. No doubt about yes. that. <laughs> I'll yes. spell it correctly in the show notes for people. Right. Uh, but this it. is my my favorite question. I love asking all my guests. And if you've listened to the end of my conversations with Max and Josh, you know what's already coming. Uh, but imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I laughed so hard when I listened to one of your earlier podcasts and I got to the end and this is the question that is like, this is what I always ask because I've done this movie and this is one of the weird things I do. But um, about 15 years ago, for the first time, I edited a movie of my life, my autobiography at when I turned 100. Mm-hmm. And it's, I haven't told this, I don't know, this might be the first podcast I've ever said this because it's hyper personal, like very personal. It's like this many people have seen the video um, besides myself. And I, there's a moment in life when I watched that video every morning for like a year straight and I would start my day to the meditation part, that was my morning routine for a year. I would watch the video that I want to be said uh, when I turn 100 years. And um, because it is so personal, I struggle saying what's in it, but it is very uplifting. It's kind of a happy party song. And one of the things in that video is an uh, older gentleman, and there's a photo of a nude lady, like a painting, and the guy goes and peeks behind the painting to see what's behind the painting. And that is like an energetic symbol of what I want to be said is, is the curiosity and looking behind the painting of, of the nude painting. So that's one thing that's in the video. But I know exactly what I would want to be said. And I've to that point that I've even made a video of it. That is, that is really special you're the yeah. you're literally the first person i've asked that question to hundreds of people man you're the first person to ever say that that you've actually yeah. you've actually done <laughs> it and it's not that's why i laughed that's why i laughed and it's so cool and, and i probably should like update it a little bit but i don't want to update it a lot like it's it's kind of perfect and it's made with before I had kids and this and that, but it's like all still relevant today. And maybe it's me brainwashing myself and my subconscious mind. But yeah, I made that video because I felt what you're asking is, is one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. Obviously, you never know how long your your life lasts and what's in store for you uh, in our journey. But that's a that's a, one of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself. And to me, I'm a visual learner and like, I needed to like explore that and put music with it. And the music for me at least was very powerful because you put video, photo, text, music, it like evokes emotion in a much more powerful way. So, yeah. Wow. And not many people know this as well, but yes, it sounds like it's very much a legacy question, but it's also a leadership question at the same time. Mm Because how you choose to lead your life will often reflect your legacy. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's, I wanted to do a creative way of, of asking that kind of question to people rather than just asking, Hey, what's your legacy going to be? Uh, so, but you, you're the first one that has actually done my question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very special, man. But, um, yeah. Thank well, maybe you that's much. something maybe out of this more people. If, I mean, it took a lot of time and I don't know, is it for everyone, but if, if you're interested in this, it's a, it's a real fun exercise of taking some time and going to iMovie or whatever editing tool and choosing the song that you love, the energy, and then building a little mini autobiography movie based yeah. on all the themes that are important to you. Well, thank you so much, man, for sharing your, your story you. with us today and for, for joining me on the Storybox podcast. I've loved this conversation. Man, thanks. You're a legend. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.